Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, podcasters, this is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard, and we have a special announcement for you this week. On October the 9th, we will be celebrating 20 years as a church. And to do so, we're going to have one big celebration gathering at Campbellsville University at 1030 a.m. in the Student Athletic Center. So if you have ever been a part of the Vineyard, uh, we would love to have you here. If this has ever been your home church, if this has ever been where you were spiritually fed and had friends, we would love for you to be a part of this. Even if you live halfway across the country, we'd love for you to be here. So October the 9th, 1030 a.m., one big celebration at Campbellsville University. We're going to have food trucks following so we can have lunch together. Should be a really great time. I hope you can come. All right, now on to this week's message. All right, hey, uh, this is another Sunday in our series called Four Things I Wish Jesus Hadn't Said. Four Things I Wish Jesus Hadn't Said. This is the third message in that series. And uh, it's an attempt to look at the Sermon on the Mount. And rather than look at the Sermon on the Mount with uh, what we might call cool, emotionless detachment or stained glass religiosity, it's an attempt to be a little more honest with how we really feel and how we really think when we hear the actual words of Jesus. Uh, It's an attempt, at least on my part, to be honest about what's going on in my head and in my heart when I read the words of Jesus, but especially especially the Sermon on the Mount. And, and here's what I mean. If we're being really honest, and if we're reading Jesus' words carefully, and if we're paying attention, you kind of have to admit that there's some stuff in there you wish you hadn't said. There's just, there's some things in there. There's some stuff that you wish he hadn't said. I know that's true for me. I'd prefer Jesus not say a lot of this. Uh, The reason I prefer that is because I actually much prefer the cultural-shaped versions of Jesus who are given to us. I, I prefer, personally, I prefer the Jesus who loves without challenge. And I prefer the Jesus who encourages you and I to be just who we are right now without ever changing. But what we find in the Sermon on the Mount is a Jesus who loves us just the way we are right now, and who challenges us to be something different. Love never lets us stay just where we're at. It always moves us on. And that's, that's difficult. But it is exactly what Jesus does for us when we take him seriously. So what we have is we have a Jesus who's challenging. If we're just being honest this morning, he's challenging. And the truth is, the words that we're going to read this morning... They're not just challenging to us, but they would have been challenging to everybody who heard them who was gathered around Jesus. So his 12 disciples that he called, when he gives this sermon, it would have been challenging to their ears. And any of the Pharisees or Sadducees or religious leaders who were sitting around him, it would have been challenging for them as well. I want to read you a little quote from a vineyard pastor. This is... Michael Rayburn, he's a vineyard pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina. And this is what Michael Rayburn says. And I think this is amazing. You might want to screenshot this. He says this. Here's how to read the Gospels. 
Assume, assume we're as dumb as the disciples, as obtusely religious as the Pharisees, and as sick and demon-afflicted as anyone there. None of those characters are outliers. They are us. Isn't that good? How do you read the Bible? This is, I'm telling you, this is how you read the Bible. This is it. When you read the Exodus story, you don't just assume that you're Israel. You also have to assume that you're Pharaoh. When you, when you read the Joshua story, you can't just assume that you're Joshua and the conquering army. You also have to assume that there's a part of me that's, that's someone who's being dispossessed. Someone who's being replaced. When you read the story of David, you can't just imagine yourself as David. You also have to see yourself as Saul. I love what Michael says here, because this is how you read the Bible. This is how you read the Bible. So these are difficult words. They are difficult for the outsider and for the insider. And by the way, here at the Vineyard Campbellsville, that's who we are. We're a really weird collection of outsiders and insiders. Even this morning, a really weird collection of outsiders and insiders and so this morning uh, we need to listen up you need to listen up and I need to listen up God is our comfort but God is also our challenger as well and God is our lover but he is a lover who comforts with challenge we need to listen up this morning and this is why I can honestly say that there are some things in this sermon that I really wish that Jesus hadn't said I want to read you 18 verses this morning. This is Matthew chapter 6. Absolutely filled with things I wish Jesus hadn't said. Here's the text. It goes like this. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Let me, I switched that around. <coughs> give your gifts in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. How many of you have ever done that? You're like, if I just say it enough, then he'll listen to me, right? If I, if I just shout it at God, maybe he'll listen to me. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating the words again and again. Don't be like them. Your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Instead, pray like this. Our father Let's read this together, can we? And let's just pray it. Are you ready? Let's do it together in unison. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. 
And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That's enough. And if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Take the yellow highlighter out on that. (laughs) And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled. So will people admire them for their fasting? I tell you the truth. That's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Man, challenging words from Jesus, huh? See, you, you, you can't keep Jesus just as this little gentle figurine, right? It's not the way it works. Well, here's the deal, guys. Uh, there are at least a million things in this passage that bother me. But I'm only going to talk about two, Okay. Otherwise, this sermon would be 87 years long. And I'm going to do my best to keep it at about 35 or 40 minutes. Two things bother me about this passage. And we're going to mostly focus on one, but I want to mention one so that we can set up the other, if that makes sense. Um, Here's the first issue that I have with this passage that we just read. The first issue is this. It's that Jesus fully expects that we're going to give our money, that we're going to pray, and that we're going to fast. Right? Notice if you read this sometime this week, and I wish you would, when you read it, if you read it slowly, you notice that Jesus says, when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast, it's not even, I wish you would give, I wish you would pray, I wish you would fast. It is the assumption of Jesus that the life of a disciple is a giving, praying, and fasting life. That's what disciples do. That bothers me. That's the baseline. The baseline in any disciple's life is giving, it's prayer, and it's fasting. Jesus assumes that's what we're up to. So the gathered church this morning, you wonder what Jesus is thinking about us? Jesus is assuming that in your everyday life, that you're giving, that you're praying, and that you're fasting. How does that sound? Challenging. That is right. Because if I'm honest... If I'm honest, I'm just going to tell the truth about me for a minute. I won't tell the truth about you. But if I'm, if I'm honest for a moment, I tend to give when I have extra. I tend to pray when I have nothing. And I tend to fast. Well, I mostly try to avoid fasting altogether. <laughs> isn't, isn't that what we do? We give when we have extra. We pray when we have nothing. And we avoid fasting at all costs. One of the reasons that I avoid many of these things is because they're not easy. Let's just have an honest discussion about the life of a disciple for a moment. Being Jesus' disciple is not easy. How many of you have ever set your your heart towards prayer and realized that at a certain point, 
maybe three, maybe four days in, maybe a month in, maybe two months in, that prayer is hard. Prayer is not easy. Let me just tell you the truth right up front. Prayer is not easy. How many of you have ever set your heart to being a generous person and realized that after the first gift, the second gift, or giving your time in a new way one time or two times, that eventually it becomes really difficult? How many of you have ever invested in someone only to have that person squander everything that you invested in them? Right? Yeah. And I don't have to convince anyone in this room that not eating is difficult. (laughs) See, giving and being generous, it's not instinctual. Can I tell you something? Generosity is a learned behavior. Everything in your DNA does not want you to be generous. Generosity is a learned behavior. It is not instinctual. Life of prayer, not just praying when I'm struggling, that's really hard. Have you ever noticed that when you're really having a hard time, it's easy to pray? But when everything's going well, it's the last thing that's on your mind? It's hard. Yeah. This all brings up an interesting dilemma of sorts. The interesting dilemma is this, that Jesus seems to be inviting his followers, that'd be me and you, into a kind of life that isn't easy. So let me just say that up front this morning. Jesus is actually inviting you and I into a life that is not easy. No, here's the dilemma part. He's inviting us into a life that isn't easy, but this is the life that's filled with grace. Here's the paradox this morning. Jesus is inviting us into the grace-filled life that is not easy. And most of us have grown up believing that grace makes it easy. And that's not always the case. Here's why. Because you and I have mostly grown up with the idea of grace that works like this. Grace is forgiveness of sins. Grace is getting a free pass. Grace is getting the great absolved from God in heaven. And there is an aspect of that which is absolutely true. But there's also another kind of grace that is seemingly runs counterintuitive to that other form that we thought existed. And it doesn't sit inside of the box that is easy, that is fluid, or that is without difficulty. And it is the grace to pray, to fast, and to be generous. And oftentimes those things are very difficult, but they are infused with grace. Another question. How many of us in the room have ever struggled with consistently tithing or giving? How many of us have ever struggled with praying? And how many of us have ever struggled with fasting? Anybody? Dude, put both hands up. You know, it's like, yeah, I know I have. So right up front, we have to recognize that Jesus isn't inviting us into an easy go-with-the-flow life. Here's what culture wants to do. Culture, American culture wants to make you a hoarder. American culture wants to make you prayerless. And American culture wants to make you a glutton. That's what American culture wants to do. The kingdom of heaven wants to make you generous, prayer-filled, and a person whose sole appetites are satisfied in God. 
And those things run counter to one another. See, Jesus is inviting us into a life that flows outward. American culture is a life that only flows inward. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And if the and here's the thing about that, uh, if, if Jesus uh, if Jesus is the foundation that we're building off of, then then part of what it means is that there are some of these practices that we have to cooperate with in order to apprehend the grace that's available to us. Here's why: because sometimes grace isn't easy. Like I said this week, I was up in Maine, and we were staying in Portland, Maine, which is a port town, right? Portland makes sense so it's on the water and there's all kinds of boats out on the water in Portland and it is classic New England territory because there's there's all these sailboats you know uh, right outside of our window in our hotel our, our hotel was right on the water and there was like really giant cruise ships that were coming in every day but around the cruise ships there were I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think there were hundreds and hundreds of little tiny sailboats, medium-sized sailboats, and really big sailboats. And being a disciple of Jesus is a lot like sailing. Cooperating with grace is a lot like sailing. One of the things I noticed when I was in Maine in Portland this week is that every single morning, every single afternoon, and every single evening, there was a breeze that was blowing. There's a breeze that's blowing, right? So what is the disciple's life to, to being generous, being a prayer-filled person, and being someone who fasts that their appetites might be satisfied in God? Well, that means, that means it's basically you have the wisdom of sailors. The wind's blowing, but unless you put that sail up, guess where you're going? Nowhere. There are, there are aspects to God's grace that require us to hoist the sails. And can I tell you something? I've never hoisted the sails, but I just imagine anything named hoisting is hard. <laughs> right? Have you ever seen those ropes? I'm sure some, some jerk has like a button he can push and it all comes, you know. Right? But, but we know that, that in order to catch the wind and to go anywhere, you've got to put up the sails. And it's the same thing with the life of, of a disciple. You want to be like Jesus? Let me tell you something. Church, the wind's blowing. Put up the sails. It's possible. It's possible, but you're not going to do it unless you hoist the sail. There's going to be a little work in there. You might get sweaty. You might get a little sea salt on you. You might almost fall off the boat. And if you do fall off the boat, good news, Jesus walks on the water. Like, it all works out. But it's not going to be easy, and it might be a little dangerous. It's all right. That's what it means to be a disciple. Some grace that comes from God has to be cooperated with. And it doesn't make it less grace. It doesn't make it less grace. Don't buy into easy, Right? I hate that Jesus said that, but it is true. (laughs) But it's actually not even what really, really bothers me about this passage. Can anybody guess what really bothers me about this passage? We can be interactive here. The forgiveness part. That's that's a message in its own. Fasting, that definitely bothers me, but that's not even the one. What, What is it that might really bother us about this passage if we read it closely? Somebody said it. Where is it at? What is it, Tyler? Keeping it secret. Really bothers me. Jesus says if you're going to give, if you're going to pray, and if you're going to fast, don't tell anybody. Man. 
Jesus, don't you know that if I'm going to give, pray, and fast, I want to make sure other people know? Like anybody who actually does this stuff deserves a little credit, right? Like I'm going to Instagram my prayer time. I am, man, I'm telling you right now, I want to Instagram my journal. You know, I've been writing my journal. Look at that, Instagram, showing you what's up. I want to Instagram my giving. When I pray for people on the streets, I want to video it, put it on YouTube, let everybody know I got gifts of healing. When I give people prophecies, I want to, want to like give them a, put it on the YouTubes, right? Uh, which, is, which is why I think all of this is hysterical. By the way, you realize people do this everywhere, right? You realize people do this everywhere. And Jesus says clearly, don't do it. Wow. I mean, listen, guys, it makes me crazy too, right? It really does. If I'm fasting, dude, I want to come out haggard in the morning and I want to take a selfie, you know? That's what I want to do. But then Jesus says it so plainly. He says, if you do it, if you tell people what you're praying, what you're giving, and when you're fasting, whatever credit you get, that's all you get. Wow. This brings up several things. Uh, number one, uh, apparently, apparently, there's actually something to be gained by secrecy. And that's what I want to explore just for a few minutes this morning. Something to be gained from secrecy. Apparently, giving, prayer, and fasting are connected to something much, much bigger. And apparently, the connection hinges on secrecy. A few thoughts this morning. It's either four or five, I can't remember. (laughs) My notes are a little less organized than normal. A few thoughts. Um, Jesus invites us into secrecy because it brings us into the gaze of God. I hope you noticed that when we were reading this morning, over and over Jesus says, your father who sees. Now the truth is, God sees everything all the time. Right? He sees us right now. He sees you when you go to sleep. It's like Santa Claus, right? He, he sees you all the time, right? You, you never escape his gaze and you never escape his eye. But it's really easy to forget that. It's easy to live like God's not there. It's easy to use religious activity to continue in a life In the usual ways. But secrecy reorients all that. Secrecy says, no, no. I'm not living for your gaze. I'm living for the gaze of my father. I'm not living for the gaze of wider cultural acceptance. I'm living for the gaze of my father. Secrecy says that the one that no one sees is better. And it actually attaches us to him in a new way. Now, here's the thing. Everybody in here wants credit. Hey, you know what? I want credit. I want significance. Everybody here wants significance. And by the way, you'll never be able to pray your desire for significance off of you. Uh, Everybody in here wants a reward. Uh, We all desire victory and growth and enlargement. But the question is this. By what means? By what means? 
by the standard measured over the world? Uh, is it by impressing others? Is that how we want to advance? And here's the deal. If you live in corporate culture, the way you advance is by impressing your boss and by taking credit and making sure that everybody on the board knows that you did whatever it is. And if you can take credit for something that someone else did, do it, right? That's how you advance in the world. But Jesus says, no, you advance in God's kingdom, not by what these people see, but by what, by what, but by what God sees. It's living for the sight of God. Sometimes we assume that even the spiritual life runs like our normal lives, and it just doesn't. Advancement never comes by impressing a higher-up pastor or a higher-up worship leader or a higher-up anybody else. Advancement comes from living in the gaze of God. Number two, secrecy brings us into eternity. Secrecy brings us into eternity. And, and by the way, eternity is, is the brain freeze that you get without eating ice cream. Anybody, anybody in here ever spent a few minutes thinking about eternity? You know what I'm talking about? It gives you a kind of brain freeze, doesn't it? Let's just do that. Um, let's do that for a second or two. Let's do it for like 20 or 30 seconds. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about forever. And about how it's not going to end. I want, to, I want you to think about your existence never ending. Now I want you to think about your existence never ending. And you living in the embrace of a God who has never been created and will never go away. Right? It kind of screws with us, doesn't it? Yeah. This is some of what secrecy does. Even if we're unaware of it, secrecy brings us into the eternal. See, here's the thing everything in life has an end, uh, everything dies. Uh, not only that, but everyone dies. Uh, everybody in this room is going to die. Isn't this encouraging? <laughs> uh, there's a hard stop to pretty much everything in the universe except for God and his kingdom. Everything else is going to have a hard stop. And we so know this in our souls that when we begin to consider, when we begin to contemplate, and when we begin to think about and imagine no hard stop and being embraced by someone who was never created, never born, and will never end. It just causes things to go. Right? Secrecy brings us into the eternal gaze of the uncreated one. Secrecy says, I'm not living for today. Secrecy says, I'm not living for an outcome that has to be tomorrow or the next day. Some of what I'm praying may not come about till eternity. 
Some of what I'm giving may not come back to me until eternity. And some of what I'm fasting for, some of what my appetites are crying out for may not be satisfied today or tomorrow. But I do it in secrecy because I'm, I'm living for the gaze of my Father and I'm living for a day that isn't here maybe yet, but will one day surely come. I'm not living for these 80 years. I'm not living for these 70 years. I'm living for something that has no end. Some of what I'm giving may not be repaid just yet. Some of my appetites and hungers and desires might not be satisfied tomorrow. Here's what I've noticed. Most every sin that you and I get ourselves into has a twinge of impatience attached to it. That's a really good word. I don't care if, it, I, don't care if I say so myself. Think about it for a moment. Think, think, about, think about the besetting sin you can't get away from. Think about the destructive patterns in your life. I would be willing to bet almost everything that I have that it has a strong component of impatience attached to it. Why is premarital sex wrong? It's impatient. It's not the sex that's wrong. It's just impatient. Wrong person, wrong time. Right? We could play this game all day long. Why is, why is getting angry and abusive at someone sin? It's impatient. Have to have my way right now. I'm not willing to compromise with you. Why is war sinful and destructive? I love, love, love what one of the theologians says about war. War is impatience. It's impatient. This is why, this is why secrecy is such a huge deal. And I actually think it's one of the reasons why church culture that we live in right now, and then a wider American culture, exists in the current forms that it exists in. Because up to this point, Disciples of Jesus have not yet learned to give, to pray, and to fast in secret. I think, I think there's something there. We haven't, we haven't yet learned to live with eternity in sight. Now here in the vineyard, we are now and not yet people. Meaning that God's kingdom is now, and at the same time, it's not yet. Uh, it's the reason we pray for the sick at, after every single service. We pray for the sick because we know that God's kingdom is now, and breakthrough could come in any moment. And we don't get to decide who that is, and we don't get to decide when, but we know that it's available, and that, that God's kingdom is within reach, and we believe it, and we pray for people. Every Sunday, we will never not do it, because God's kingdom is breaking in. And at the same time, we're going to see people healed. Uh, the very same moment, we're going to see other people not healed. And here's the, here's the thing. Uh, some people we're going to bury. And if we all live long enough, we're going to bury everyone. But the good news is this, that that hard stop, that one little hard stop is not the hard stop. It's rebirth into something much wider, much bigger. And we're actually living for that. And sometimes in church cultures where we have an expectation of the now, we lose sight of eternity. And when you lose sight of eternity, you will become impatient. We can't, we can't lose that. Here's the deal, church. We're not banking on a quick flip economy. We're not looking for hot cash. And we're not needing to increase everything this very instant. 
We're looking to a much bigger time. It's called eternity. Number three, secrecy. Secrecy anchors us in the unseen. Um, this life, this life, American culture, wider culture says work for the right now. Think about right now. Think about this instant and what you can get your hands on. What's valuable is this car, this house, this vacation, this relationship, and this job. But secrecy says no. There's always more. There's an entire unseen realm and it's the unseen realm that's where god lives and it's the unseen god who is bringing all of this to some kind of greater glory see here's the thing church biology chemistry and physics they're true but they're not the only laws that are in play god is always the reality behind whatever reality we think we know or discover and so there's always an invisible realm that is playing a part in what we see So secrecy is one of the doorways into the unseen realm. It attaches our hearts. Not only that, but secrecy makes us aware of God. And God is, for the most part, unseen. He's the reality behind every other reality. And it's really easy to forget Him. I know it is for me. It's easy to begin to think that He isn't there at all. Has anybody here ever struggled with the thought that there is no God at all? I have. I had two years as a pastor where I was pretty sure there was no God at all. Isn't that comforting for you guys? I preached for I preached 52 weeks twice. I preached 104 sermons when I wasn't entirely sure where the heck God was or what he was up to. If you haven't done it, you probably will. Here's the thing, but here's what I've noticed. Most of the times when I've struggled the most with those very thoughts, those have been the times that my secret devotional life was ragged. If I'm being honest, So much of what God is doing is actually invisible. There's tons of what God's doing that's totally visible. Like a few weeks ago, we had Church of the Lake. We dunked people right in the water, didn't we? Amazing. Brand new life. But then there's this other list of things that God is up to, and it's completely invisible. It's it's beneath the surface. It's kind of like this. You know, the farmer who sows the seed, he needs a little faith not to grow weary when the sprouts don't emerge after two or three days. Right? He needs a little faith to not grow weary when the sprouts don't emerge after seven or eight days. So much of what God is doing is germinating right beneath the surface. God is doing more right here and right now than you and I can see perceive or know and that confidence that confidence grows and it becomes full-grown assurance by the practice of praying giving and fasting in secret here's what i've noticed praying giving and fasting alone will not give you assurance it's got to be in secret it has to be some part of our life that's reserved for God alone. And then finally, secrecy. Secrecy means that you and I are actually working for another reward. I, I don't know about you, but I like winning. I like winning. I, I'm a competitive person. I like competition. I, I, like, I like testing myself against other people. I like comparison. I do. Um, it, it's fun. I, I go... I go to a Monday, Wednesday, Friday CrossFit class at noon with some other guys about my age, and I like competing against them. I like it. 
I, I like it when I beat those guys. It rarely happens. I'm the oldest guy, but I like it when I beat those guys. And anytime I beat those guys, I take a picture. I do. I Instagram it. I take a picture of their times. I put them, I, I put them up, and I don't really say anything. I just put them up. AR, 2147. JH, 23. I like it. I like winning. I like the reward of knowing that I tested myself and I'm better than those guys. Today I was better than those guys. Right up until the point we start lifting heavy weights and then I don't take any pictures anymore. <laughs> Justin's warm-up set was more than my final set the other day. I'm like, this is going to work. Yeah, I like competition. I like being honored. I like making money. I like many, many things that our world has to offer. And here's the thing. Many of those things are not evil. In fact, they're gifts from God and they're made to be enjoyed. But there's this other gift. There's this other economy. There's this other promotion and there's another kingdom and it's happening right now. There's another system altogether that we can enter into. There's another economy that we can invest in. And its returns will not be eaten by moths. It will not rust or decay and they cannot be stolen. See, we're all benefiting from modern medicine. Everybody in here is benefiting from modern medicine. Uh, We're all living longer than ever. You can pretty much make it to 80 no matter what you do. If you have terrible genes and don't take care of yourself, you're pretty much still guaranteed 80 years. And in the course of 80 years, if you're wise, you can accumulate quite a return on your investments, even if your investments are meager. Now, here's what I want you to consider. I want you to consider another economy. I want you to consider another kingdom, one that rewards giving and not keeping. I want you to consider another kingdom, one that rewards trust and a life poured out rather than a clenched fist holding on. And I want you to imagine that that kingdom is filled with eternity, not 80 years, that there's never an end and that all of our investments have forever to grow and to mature. Forever. How great will your reward be? How great will your reward be? If you can let it go, how great will your reward be? Because it's going to be compounded interest forever. See, I'm living for another kingdom. I'm living for another kind of existence. I'm living for today, but I'm also living for the future. And the good news is this. The good news is that we can all start this week. You can start today. Here's what I know. I think this is what Jesus knows as well. Everybody in this room has a secret life. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe there's someone you secretly hate. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's a porn addiction. Maybe you drink too much. Maybe it's substances. Maybe you take pills. Maybe it's just delusions of grandeur. But today... Here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus is inviting us into a new kind of secret life. Where noble things that no one knows, the noble things that we kept hidden, and the vile parts of us are confessed. It's funny how we tend to do the opposite, isn't it? Isn't that weird? Here's what I know. I know that you and I have a secret life and I know that we mostly keep secret the sinful, vile parts 
and we make known the good. And God is saying, I would like you to tell the secret, sinful, vile parts, and I would like you to keep secret the good. And we can start today. We can start today. So here's what we need to do today. In just a moment, I'm going to ask the ministry team to come on up. In fact, come on up. If you're on ministry this morning, come on up. Come on up. Here's what I'm going to ask us to do today. I'm going to ask all of us in the room to begin to live the Jesus life. Here's the Jesus life. You confess your sin and you hide your nobility. You confess your sin, you hide your nobility. So I'm going to pray for us as a group and I'm going to ask that we'd have grace. And some of us may have some things that we actually need to confess this morning. If you do, we have people here. Like, if, if you need to tell the truth, and by the way, we all need to tell the truth, but if you're like, you're at that spot and you know there's something in your life and you just need to tell the truth, man, you got to do it. You just have to do it. There's no way out. Jesus doesn't heal our fake lives. He actually only heals our actual real lives, the ones that we actually confess. Like, your, your, your made-up life, it, it, some, of us, some of us continually not get healed because we've never actually said what it is we need to be healed from. You know, until you admit that you're a bitter, porn-addicted, pill-taking person, you will never get healed. You will never get healed. It will not happen. This is actually 98% of the power of counseling. Uh, 98% of the power of counseling is you stepped into reality. It's not the advice that you get. The, the advice is like neither here nor there. It is that you stepped into reality. That's it. So I want to invite the church today into confessing our darkness, to embracing the light. And then I want to invite us this week to do three things. I want to invite us this week to, number one, pray in secret. Number two, I want you this week, if it'd be all right, I would love for everybody in this room to give something away without telling. And I don't just mean money. I mean, if you've got money, do that. Absolutely, start there. But money, time, energy, training, confidence... Like, give something away, and then don't tell anyone. And then number three, plan a fast. Plan a moment to say, you know what? God, you satisfy me. That's what fasting is. It's, it's nothing else. It's just to say, God, you're the one who satisfies my heart. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. I want to pray for us this morning. Yeah. Oh, Lord, we love you this morning. Oh, we just love you. Praise the Lord. God, we ask that you'd give us the grace to live the Jesus way. God, we, we take your words in this morning. As difficult as they are, we, just, we take your words in. And God, we acknowledge that we've mostly done the exact opposite of what you say. I'll confess that. Lord, I, 98% of the time, I do the opposite of what you say. I've told everybody how good I am and I've hidden all my darkness. God, we ask that as a church, we'd have the grace to share our sin. And then, God, we ask that you would give us the grace to build a secret life with you. God, we ask for grace to, to live for your gaze alone. God, we ask that you'd give us grace to live for eternity. 
where all of our investments can be infinitely multiplied. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who's wonderful. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer for anything, anything at all, you come on up. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Happy Sunday, y'all. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.